Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have our somewhat biannual, maybe quarterly report from Jason Schreier, formerly of Kotaku, now of Bloomberg, who has done an expose feature on Ubisoft. And if you haven't been following everything that's been happening in the video game industry for the past little while, Ubisoft has found itself something of an epicenter for Me Too allegations that have been made really across the video game spectrum and as well at video game adjacent kind of industries, including Twitch and streaming in general. And he put up this article today called Ubisoft Family Accused of Mishandling Sexual Misconduct Claims. And Mr. Schreier has been somewhat of a consistent presence here in virtual legality, partly because he is one of the few investigative journalists in the video game industry. He does have these contacts. He can interview employees and former employees from all of these companies, but also because he has a tendency to editorialize and to frame his stories in a specific way that I often find either to lack nuance or, as is the case in this particular instance, to really get the problem in reverse. I've titled this, or at least the thumbnail to this video, is Bloomberg's Wrong on Ubisoft, primarily because I think the framework for this article, in which a number of very serious allegations are made, a number of very inappropriate bits of conduct are revealed, uh, all of which are either made by anonymous current employees of Ubisoft or named former employees of Ubisoft, and all of which are a problem. And we're going to go over at least some of those as we read through this article. But the framework for Mr. Schreier's reporting here is effectively that the people that did this at Ubisoft are bad people. They make bad video games. They have directed Ubisoft video games in a fashion that hasn't been to Ubisoft's benefit. And they were otherwise protected from their incompetence and other bad acts as game developers and creatives because there was a family good old boy mentality. And that can happen at companies. But I think what's actually happening here is considerably more insidious from the perspective of someone that follows businesses and advises these businesses on a regular basis. I think if you actually and you go and you look at what games these people were responsible for, what Ubisoft has been doing, and we'll get to that section in this article, the problem is more along the lines of they were good at it. They were good at making decisions for what was marketable and what would win the market and what games would sell and improving Ubisoft's lot in the video game industry. And that, that is a more significant problem because any business can look at this, can look at how it's framed in Bloomberg Business Week here and say, you know what? We don't have that club network. We don't have the good old boys group that goes to strip clubs. We don't need to worry about these things. But the truth is, you do need to worry about these things if you have somebody that you otherwise think is just great at business. This isn't just a, oh, they got too close, they're friends of the family type situation. This is, these individuals were actually good at doing what your business wants to do. And that's the harder problem. That's the harder question. And so I think Bloomberg gets it wrong and does it a disservice because Ubisoft's issue here was not necessarily just that they were friends and it was a collegial atmosphere and all these kinds of things that created these problems, but because they were good at making these decisions, they were good at making Ubisoft money. So with that as our background, let's dive into this article. This is again by Jason Schreier. It's on Bloomberg. He starts by saying, five brothers started Ubisoft Entertainment in 1986, and since then, the video game company has survived seven generations of game consoles, 
four recessions, a hostile takeover bid from France's largest media conglomerate, that was Vivendi, and a global pandemic so far. But there have been issues. More than a dozen people made public claims of sexual harassment and abuse against employees of Ubisoft over the past few weeks. Now, one, we have to put that into a bit of context. Ubisoft is massive. They are one of the biggest publishers on earth. They have thousands of people that work for them. And so, yeah, a dozen people is bad. And I do not want to underestimate how bad this is. There are bad things that are going to be discussed. And they certainly appear to have helped bad actors remain in the employ of the company. But at least at present, you are looking at only a certain number of issues out of a very, very large enterprise. We then get the setup for what Mr. Schreier is reporting here. Interviews with more than three dozen current or former Ubisoft employees. Now, he will actually admit at the end of the article, and I certainly would have advocated to have it up here at the top, that the people whose names you read are all former employees and the people who are otherwise being said as saying something as employees of Ubisoft, they are all anonymous. Nobody was willing to go on the record on these kinds of things, which of course leads to our usual disclaimer here in virtual legality, which is to say, if you don't put your name to it, it's very difficult to look at the background, look at what position you're in, and to judge for ourselves the tilt and various agendas that you might have with respect to the company. So we don't want to disparage anybody that's giving these kinds of interviews. I think this is important investigative stuff for the video game industry, but we have to take with a grain of salt those folks that aren't willing to put their name to the quotes that they are giving because we just can't look at the background. We can't look at the information that we can look on with respect to the other folks. In some instances, Ubisoft took action with respect to these claims, which is good. But for the most part, complaints were ignored, mishandled, or undermined, employees say. Now, this article is going to elaborate on what this sentence means in general, but again, this is one of the types of statements where we really have trouble with anonymity, right? This is already paraphrased by Jason Schreier taking on the quotes from anonymous employees and then deciding to tell us what he thinks they said in respect of those things, and then we also can't tell who the employees actually are. So Ubisoft took action is an important part of this story. It appears that at least in certain parts, Ubisoft was trying to do things as any good corporate citizen would do, but in other cases, they failed. And to be honest, that's going to be the story at every entity that we would ever look at at this level of granularity, hopefully with not some of the stories that Mr. Schreier has uncovered. This is some bad stuff. But any given human resources department, any given entity, if it's not one person operating out of their home office, is going to have stories where they could have done something better in the course of running their company. So this is hard to go on. And when you set it out in your premise, it creates a certain amount of, at least for someone like me who reads these things, distrust. The accusations filed to Ubisoft's human resources department range from subtle forms of sexism to sexual assault, according to two people with access to the reports. Now, sexism is bad. We don't like to see it in corporate environments. We don't like to see it in general. However, when you make a sentence like that, you wind up combining subtle sexism with sexual assault in one giant melange. And I don't think that's necessarily fair to the story that you want to tell. Those are two different scales of offense, and certainly both bad, one is significantly worse than the other. You also see a summary here of a story we'll get to in a little bit more detail where Mr. Schreier reports that on one occasion before this summer, when Ubisoft sided with an alleged victim, the company removed the woman's boss and rewarded the woman with a gift card, she says. And again, we'll get to that story, 
But the question always is, what should they have done? You're kind of eliding that this is bad, that Ubisoft removing the boss, which I think we would all agree is good when there's a problem, and then giving a gift card is ostensibly where you're trying to articulate that this is kind of a trash move and you're just trying to get them to go away, some kind of bribery innuendo, something along those lines. But the question always has to be the next level. What would you have seen them done? Uh, you know, they can sue. Uh, they could get asked for a bonus. Uh, what, what would be appropriate? And if they got a bonus for it, wouldn't it be reported on in the same way? Oh, they got rid of the boss, but then they tried to give them more money to make sure it stayed quiet. So the question is always, what are you trying to do when you write this article? What are you trying to suggest? And certainly all of this is to indicate that Ubisoft is a bad actor. I don't necessarily see giving a gift card as a bad act. It's the kind of thing that you do give uh, to whistleblowers. It is the kind of thing that you do do from a corporate level, even if when presented in this framework, it winds up looking a little bit crass. Continuing, a spokesperson for Ubisoft declined to comment or arrange interviews for this story. They thought, and perhaps based on this framework, rightly so, that Mr. Schreier was effectively putting together a kind of hit job, hit piece uh, on their company, and that any quote would be taken out of context or paraphrased in a way that wouldn't be helpful. We've talked a lot about corporate messaging in the last couple of weeks. And so I think that it is the kind of thing that you do have to be cognizant of. We talked about Dr. Disrespect giving quotes to the Washington Post, which they then paraphrased to suggest that he was unclear or concerned or anxious, and then used paragraph after paragraph to suggest that while there are no specific allegations against him, these other allegations have been flying around the video game community, and we'll just drop this here and not otherwise talk about it. So when you are PR for someone like Ubisoft, you get wind of Bloomberg through Jason Schreier doing an article like this. It's no surprise that you say no comment is the best solution, even though it can potentially look bad for you when someone like me or you or somebody else reads it and say, hey, they had a chance to comment and they didn't do so. Just don't take that as completely admitting to guilt or something that should put the thumb on the scales too much because you have to be cognizant of what the journalists can do. And I don't really think it's a problem for them not providing a comment to this story. Now, we're about to dive into one of the favorite commenting topics here in the comments to virtual legality, which is Rick Hogue tries to pronounce French. Unfortunately, Ubisoft, very popular, often in the news, have people with a lot of French names. These are going to be butchered. I'm going to do the best that I can. I apologize in advance. I look forward to the comments that explain all of the words that I'm going to mispronounce and how to pronounce them better. So Chief Executive Officer Yves Guillemot has promised extensive changes and has taken steps that many staff once saw as unlikely. Those include the ousters of Serge Haskoet, Chief Creative Officer and a close friend of Guillemot's for decades and the heads of HR and the Canadian studios. The former executives didn't respond to multiple requests for comment. Again, they're not giving comments to Mr. Schreier. Ubisoft has fallen short in its obligation to guarantee a safe and inclusive workplace environment for its employees, Guillemont said in a statement on July 12th in Paris. This is unacceptable as toxic behaviors are in direct contrast to values on which I have never compromised and never will. I am committed to implementing profound changes across the company to improve and strengthen our workplace culture. Interesting that there's a lot of I statements there. It's really focused on the CEO rather than the company. Uh, and then you get a little more background on Guillemot taking over in the late 80s. The image of Ubisoft as a family business was a source of inspiration for many employees over the years. But others say the dynamic facilitated a culture in which longtime staff, especially Haskaway and his team, were given agency to misbehave. 
There are golden children, says Cindy Fitzpatrick, who worked in Ubisoft's public relations department from 2005 to 2009. So 11 years removed at this point, which is interesting. You kind of get a feel for who Mr. Schreier's uh, group of people that he can contact is. No matter what they do, they seem untouchable. Now, here is the main paragraph that kind of sets the framework for this story. And ultimately, the reason why I chose to do this video. Mr. Schreier is setting up this notion, and this is a thing that can happen to corporations, of a good old boys or a boys club network that you had these people that were friends of the CEO or the COO or whomever, and they just could do whatever they want and nothing bad would happen to them. And certainly that's going to be a part of any of these stories. If you are at a company long enough, you're going to have certain friends in high places and potentially your business, your company can get into a bad situation based on these facts. But by setting it up in this way, by framing it as a story in this fashion, and then by later in the article, essentially claiming that these people are bad at their jobs, you don't allow for what is the real insidiousness here, which is that a company is more likely to keep bad actors to find itself in these traps when the person is actually good at what they do. That bad people can make good products. And when you get into that situation, that's when the real ethical dilemmas happen at the company. That's why more than anything else, this kind of thing happens at a company as large as Ubisoft because this person, Haskaway, was getting the job done was making 10 million selling video games, was heading the editorial department at Ubisoft and making sure that the products that they released were selling to large markets to a lot of people. And that's how you really get into trouble. Several employees say they were pleasantly surprised, even shocked by the company's swift response. That's the other bit of this story, right? This comes out in a French periodical, I believe on July 10th, really, the big problems. They move on July 12th and start axing people and putting people on administrative leave and saying all the right things. And so that's important. That's an important part of the story because it does suggest that at bare minimum, Ubisoft knows now in July of 2020 that things are bad and need to be corrected but also implies that maybe at the highest levels of the company, they didn't quite know how bad things had gotten. Now, you could argue that that means that the CEO had his head in the sand, wasn't following up with what he should have been following up on. We don't know. It's all speculative. But it certainly does suggest that at bare minimum, there wasn't this kind of pervasive knowledge of this kind of thing happening at the company. And if there was, that'll be another article from Mr. Schreier later on. You then get a bunch of background, again, in 1998, the year, 1988, the year Yves Guillemont was named CEO of Ubisoft, the company hired Haskaway. So it's the day he becomes CEO, or the year he becomes CEO, this person is put in charge. He started as a video game tester, a job he got by applying to a newspaper ad, according to a 2017 article in Le Mans. Haskaway later helped create Ubisoft's editorial department. This is one of the stronger kind of editorial forces at Ubisoft and in gaming in general, which supervises every game the company puts out. As head of creative, he oversaw the development of blockbuster franchises, including Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, and Watch Dogs. This is a major, major figure at the company. He started with Guillemont, and this article says, was treated almost like a member of the family. He was given ultimate authority to cancel, greenlight, or overhaul any game to his specifications. Now, that's actually a business function that doesn't specifically talk about familiness. Project reviews would take place at a type of meeting known within Ubisoft as Gates, and Haskaway was usually the gatekeeper. 
And then you get a lot of descriptions of bad behavior. During presentations, he would bang his head against the table, a sign that he was bored or unhappy. He was infamous for what colleagues described as growling, a sort of guttural noise he would direct at people in meetings or while passing in the hallway. I'd love to know the context of somebody growling at you passing in the hallway. So it sounds at bare minimum, he's got a lot of idiosyncrasies. It's going to run a lot of people the wrong way. It's going to make people uncomfortable. And this is the kind of thing that you try to get a handle on at a corporate level. But if he's making you a lot of money, you let things go. And that's how you get into trouble like this. Three women who worked at Ubisoft said they had been warned not to go out drinking with Haskaway and his crew. He sometimes held business meetings at strip clubs, a habit that his deputies began to adopt. Now, let's take a step back. One thing that's worth noting is that Haskaway, along with two other individuals at Ubisoft, are the three people that are really kind of singled out in this article. And it's important because this kind of reporting suggests an entire endemic issue at a company. And and you can certainly see when you see these references to things like deputies, how that can develop. But it's also important to know that bad apples do in fact spoil the whole batch. And so this might not be more than a few people that create all of these problems for Ubisoft. And when one of those people is the head of creative, is the guy that started the editorial team, it does create a problem, but one that might be fixable by simply cutting the head off the snake. And so I think that's one of the things that Ubisoft is going to try to do with all of these issues. But it's also worth noting that you don't see a lot of stories here that are similar to maybe what you saw in perhaps the riot reporting from last year and a kind of overall single office environment where everything is tolerated. You instead see a kind of rot from the head of the fish type of situation. Uh, You see that you've got meetings at strip clubs. This is bad. Don't do this. Um, One of the things that comes up a lot when we're talking to various businesses or clients or whatever it might be is that you do have situations where through maybe no fault of your own, although strip clubs are a big red flag, you are doing meetings, you're doing engagements and things where one group or another feels more comfortable where whether that's men versus women or one race against another race or or religions, certainly, uh, that you have this kind of unintentional, very often is the case, uh, separation of various demographic groups at your company. And so it's always important to try to the best of your ability to do business on neutral business footing. And then, yeah, social engagements are always going to be social engagements. And this kind of thing is always going to be a problem if you just like to go out to places where, in this instance, women aren't comfortable going to business meetings at strip clubs, who can blame them? And you get into these situations where, okay, then those people get closer to the individual in question, they get the promotions and you start to have a big, significant divide at your company through the functioning of this one individual. So this is the kind of thing that is rightly reported on and is a problem and really needs to be squashed at the corporate level. Then you've got stories where uh, Haskaway has a female presenter leave a meeting and then plays a French song describing, as Mr. Schreier says, sexually explicit acts with a woman who has the same name as the presenter and then pauses when she comes back in the room. This is all bad. This is all juvenile. This is all not something that you can really permit at a corporate level here in 2020 or at any time really before. Uh, You've got other kind of reports about sexually explicit comments to staff, pushed subordinates to drink excessively, and my personal favorite, gave colleagues cakes containing marijuana without their knowledge. That's actually a kind of assault, right? You actually have impugned on someone's body uh, without their knowledge. It's a kind of assault. These are the kinds of things that are really, really bad. And so you got this kind of story. You've got him in a head creative position. You've got him promoting people underneath him and with full authority on the products that Ubisoft is making. And yeah, you've got a significant problem. But at least for right now, in this article, it's limited to one person. 
You continue on and he starts to pull out other stories. You've got references to racism in respect of a Force Awakens trailer talking about John Boyega, who really was done dirty in the entire Disney sequel trilogy. Check out some of my comments on the rest of the channel for more thoughts there. Uh, You've got references to somebody that is told as part of her job to smile more and was later told she would be fired from her job as a purchasing specialist if her attitude didn't improve. Okay, so the whole smile more thing, especially for women in the office, is a potential problem. I will say this. You know, I'll give you an anecdote. Uh, I had the exact opposite issue. And maybe I've mentioned this on Virtual Legality in the past. If I did, I apologize. Uh, But I was actually working at a large law firm with very stern people on very important matters, talking about corporate law and being very serious. And if you can't tell from Virtual Legality, I'm an energetic guy. I like to be positive. I like to be out there and gregarious and outgoing. And I was taken into a room by a senior partner, had the door closed behind me and was told that I needed to smile less. Honest to God, I was told that if I continued to smile as much as I was, I wasn't projecting the proper amount of seriousness on the issues at hand. Understand I'm not a litigator. I am a corporate transaction guy. So I'm helping bring people together, not tear them apart. But I often find that a certain kind of bedside manner, even with respect to the legal profession, is useful. And it's the way I operate and do my job. And ultimately, this is the kind of conversation that led me to starting Hoag Law in 2016. But I was taken aside and said, you need to change your attitude in respect of what we want to project as the company image. So I look at this and I say, yes, I totally understand how this can be perceived as sexist. But If you are a purchasing specialist, you are an outward facing job, you are the voice of Ubisoft to this particular group of people, you are purchasing things from others, you need to be presenting as generally positive and happy and social and gregarious and outgoing. And so I don't know what Don Lee's situation was, but I can certainly imagine a position where if you are a purchasing specialist and you're dour and angry and caustic and mean and sarcastic, all the time you get pulled into a room and say, you got to be more positive. And yeah, maybe that's smile more. And maybe that's the wrong way to present it. In fact, I know it's the wrong way to present it. But whenever you hear these stories and everybody that's named as a former employee, there's always going to be a lot of former employees from any entity that can bring tales of why they left. I just gave you one from my personal experience. And you could have been quoted if someone were doing an expose on large law firms. Could have been put directly into that article. Doesn't mean I hated them. Doesn't really mean I took it as anything in particular. Just meant that I wasn't happy with that particular directive. And it's the kind of thing that starts to get you looking elsewhere. Is it emblematic of sexism? Hard to say without more context. Certainly it's presented in this article as such. Then you get the gift card story. Nina Stewart was working at Ubisoft's customer service center, had a problem with her boss, said he'd make sexist and fat phobic remarks about me to my whole team. Uh, And after going to HR twice and then getting backed up by what she says was a male coworker that corroborated her claims, they finally moved her boss out and then received a thank you card from HR attached to a $200 Visa gift card. Stewart, who left the company, calls it a trash employer. Don't quite know what that sentence is doing in this article. I would have a feeling since she is former and she is giving you this story that she thinks certain thoughts about Ubisoft, but you know, it's an interesting quote and you got trash employer right there in the middle of the article. Now, that's a couple of extra stories to go with the kind of the Haskaway kind of premise here. You then get a secondary premise, and this is a very bad thing, again, from corporate structure. So now you've got the Toronto office, as described by Mr. Schreier, is especially problematic. Six current or former employees there say. Now, it seems to me like there's probably mostly current there and maybe some other former employees that weren't willing to give the name. The studio was run by Maxime Ballon, his wife, Rima Breck, and another husband and wife management team. Here's the key. Breck served for a time as interim director of HR, the people there say. 
So in terms of things not to do, don't have the head of your studio's wife running HR because you're going to have these kinds of problems. And even if you don't have these kinds of problems directly, if something like this article is ever written about your entity, you're going to have this kind of reporting done. Two women who reported incidents to Breck and other HR representatives in Toronto say they felt ostracized afterwards and were labeled as troublemakers. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Even if that isn't the case, right? Even if nothing was ever done, even if it was completely in the people that reported the incident's heads that that kind of thing was happening, you entirely understand why that would be in their heads. They just reported on problems with this person's studio to this person's wife. And if nothing happens, you start to feel even just on the back of your shoulder that they don't like you anymore because of course the wife reported to her husband and what have I even done? You can't have this structure. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You create problems across your entire enterprise. Now, Balan himself is said to be known for his quick temper and a tendency to scream at subordinates during meetings, say four people who worked in the office. Two of those people say that they saw Balan touch women inappropriately at holiday parties and other work events. Again, hard to say what exactly that means. You've got a light arm touch could be seen that way right down to, you know, prospective sexual assault type actions, especially at holiday parties. Holiday parties are not great for HR or any kind of legal liability. Uh, I can't recommend them. Certainly, I can't recommend them with a lot of drink, but people still love them and social engagements are things that companies still like to put on. But so you've got Balan here. You've got a problem with husband and wife. You've got some kind of anonymously phrased things. And then you have another person that's brought up in this article, Tommy Francois, a 13-year veteran of Ubisoft, openly flirted with subordinates, made homophobic jokes, and performed unwanted massages, say 10 people who witnessed or were the subjects of his alleged abuses. So we have the same problem here in this particular sentence as we had earlier in the article, right? We have a combination of things that are really bad or potentially really bad. Unwanted massages are bad. Again, that's a kind of form of battery or assault. Uh, right down to openly flirted with subordinates. Not good in poor taste. Certainly something that should be talked about at a corporate level. Also not the same kind of thing as touching people that don't want to be touched. So you've got a combination here. You certainly have a lot of people that have apparently gone on the record anonymously to Mr. Schreier on this particular person but you don't have the kind of specificity that you could really need in order to adjudge these kinds of stories. Now, you do have some of the riot talk uh, here where we see current and former employees, say Haskaway, again, moving back to Haskaway, enabled bad behavior by fashioning the editorial quarters into a sort of frat like the one in Animal House. People who worked in the department described pornographic videos on computers, boozy lunches, and a chorus of inappropriate jokes. So not Ubisoft on the whole necessarily, but the editorial group, which again touched everything that Ubisoft released, is described in this article as being enabled by Haskaway to essentially be like all the stories that were written about Riot. And that's a problem. That's not good. And so this story presents these problems as something that need to be addressed. But now we get into the real reason why I wanted to make this video, because Mr. Schreier then advances this ball and says, look at all that sexism. Look at all these stories I've found from former and current employees. And now let's talk about video games. And I find this to be entirely wanting, and we're going to talk about why as we go through it. But the important part is, because somebody is bad or evil or really, really, really problematic, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't make good products for your company. And when those don't even up, that's when you really fall into traps. 
And it looks like that's what happened to Ubisoft. Reading from on this article, the machismo of Ubisoft's offices seeps into the company's games, current and former employees say. Ubisoft's biggest franchise is Assassin's Creed, a, a franchise near and dear to my heart. A series of open-world action-adventure games in which players explore historic settings and sneak around killing people. Most games in the series star male protagonists. This has been a point of contention as far back as 2014. That's interesting passive voice there, right? Why is it a point of contention? Who made it a point of contention? It's unclear, even though we know from Mr. Schreier's background, he means Kotaku and various sources in games journalism, Polygon, the usual suspects on these kinds of topics. When a Ubisoft creative director said Assassin's Creed Unity wouldn't let people play online as female characters because it was really a lot of extra production work to add women's clothing and animations to the game. So they came into the headlines and this was a problem for their, for them from that point in time. For the next game, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, fantastic, highly recommend it. An early outline of the script gave equal screen time to the twin protagonists, Jacob and Evie, according to three people who worked on the project. Now, how early is that? That's an open question, and we will see that when we start talking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. In the end, Jacob dominated the game. Assassin's Creed Origins, released in 2017, was originally going to injure or kill off its male hero, Bayek, early in the story and give the player control of his wife, Aya, according to two people who worked on it, which, in my opinion, would have been really cool. But Aya's role gradually shrank over the course of development, and Bayek became the leading figure. Development of 2018's Assassin's Creed Odyssey, notable for its position as the number one game of the year in 2018 from Hogla, just to give my bona fides as to how much I enjoy this series, and you can see here Cassandra pictured uh, in, the, in the photo that I chose to use as the thumbnail. In that game, the story went much the same way. The game tells the story of siblings Cassandra and Alexios. The team originally proposed making the sister the only playable character, according to four people who worked on the game until they were told that wasn't an option. The final product gives players a choice between the two characters. Now, these articles are really interesting. These types of paragraphs in something like this from Bloomberg are really interesting, especially in video games, because this kind of thing gets misreported, right? I'm pulling up a Kotaku article right now that reports this particular note from this article that we are reading that you just had read to you in its entirety as Cassandra was supposed to be Assassin's Creed's Odyssey's only protagonist, except that's not actually what was said here. The team originally proposed making the sister the only playable character. You're doing some work. So the team is probably not the entire team. That's not how teams generally operate. And if they proposed making the sister the only playable character, that's just a proposal. And it's unclear exactly how far that would have gone down the line in terms of designing the game until they were told that wasn't an option. So Cassandra was supposed to be the only character in Assassin's Creed Odyssey is stealing like two or three rhetorical bases and you don't need to do it. This is an interesting enough story on its own. Current and former Ubisoft employees say that these changes, which haven't been previously reported, are illustrative of the sexism ingrained within the company. Now that is two levels of leap, right? First, you have the current and former Ubisoft employees giving quotes to Jason Schreier about things that they don't have within their control, that there are reasons that we can imagine and we're going to go over them in just a second, that Alexios was added to Assassin's Creed Odyssey and that you went with two different gendered characters in order to play that game that don't rely on the sexism of the company. In fact, the existence of Cassandra tends to belie at least a certain amount of sexism on the company's part on the whole. 
But then you have those people giving quotes to Jason who then puts together a sentence like this that says they are illustrative of the sexism ingrained within the companies, paraphrasing for whatever these quotes are that he receives. So you're two levels separate from whatever the actual decision-making process at Ubisoft was. All of the directives came from Ubisoft's marketing department or from Haskaway, both of whom suggested female protagonists wouldn't sell the developers say. This false perception, now that's a heck of a thing to put in here, has been commonly held in the video game industry for decades. Here's the problem with alternative universes, right? We don't know whether or not Assassin's Creed Odyssey would have sold better, worse, or the same with only Cassandra or only Alexios. We only have the universe in which Assassin's Creed Odyssey was made up of both parties operating as essentially choosable protagonists. So suggesting that it's a false perception by using references to Tomb Raider and Horizon Zero Dawn as series that are famously led by women doesn't actually answer the question as to whether or not marketing at Ubisoft was correct to say we shouldn't just go out with a woman lead at Assassin's Creed. You or I or the person next to us might love to have Aya take over Origins or just have Cassandra in Odyssey, but we don't know what the sales would have been. Just like, by the way, we don't know what Tomb Raider sales would have been like in the 90s if Lara Croft were instead Luke Croft. We don't know. And we don't know what the sales for Horizon Zero Dawn would have been if it was a male protagonist instead. Now, he's combating that the false perception is that they wouldn't sell, but he paraphrased that statement on its own. I imagine marketing or Haskaway in their best moments would say something along the lines of, we don't think it will sell as well. And so using extra resources or even changing our design elements might not be a good idea for our company. In fact, if we go and we look at Assassin's Creed Valhalla, we see the same setup as Odyssey, where you have a male or female protagonist that you can choose. And the reason for that is as simple as everybody picked Alexios. If you go and you look for, at this article from Destructoid, which I believe is actually paraphrasing an article from Game Informer, so sorry about that, says Assassin's Creed Odyssey director surprised at Alexios Cassandra usage split. Right now, it's two thirds Alexios and one third Cassandra. Two out of three people were choosing Alexios. And if those two out of three people are inclined to choose Alexios over Cassandra, would they have purchased the game at all if Cassandra were the only option? Certainly many of them would have, but at least on the margins, some of them would not have. And so you start weighing the value of spending the resources to make dual protagonists versus the sales that you could potentially lose by not doing that. And especially the sales you would lose if you only made it Cassandra in this particular instance. And I'm not saying that they're right. I'm saying that there are other reasons besides inherent sexism that you can make a choice like this one. And that's an important part of the story because there is no indication that Ubisoft on the whole was wrong to have Alexios as part of the game, nor is there any indication that having Alexios is indicative of sexism. Changing Bayek out for Aya, I personally think would have been cool, but it could have been a disaster if it wasn't done right in the narrative. And maybe they were coming up across problems that created a narrative problem with actually presenting that kind of story. Similarly, with respect to Jacob and Evie and Syndicate, I mostly walk around the open world as Evie because I do think Jacob generally has the cooler and, and more prolonged story missions. So I run across the open world as Evie and I think they mostly get about the same amount of time in a usual playthrough of mine of Syndicate. So you get into this situation where you're starting to apply these anonymous quotes in a paraphrased way and then arguing against the, the straw man that you built all in the service of actually kind of defending Ubisoft. Because if this guy was bad at his job, then Ubisoft is just doing a bad job of kind of protecting their family environment. If he's good at his job, 
you've got a better claim. Ubisoft looked at this and said, you know what? He's selling stuff. And we look away. And that's, that's a better story because I think that's actually what's happening here. For example, Haskaway openly expressed disdain for linear storytelling and cutscenes, the interstitial videos that exist between gameplay to advance the narrative. This is something that we've talked about about Ubisoft in the past couple of years a lot. They have kind of skewed entirely linear games for the story will happen around you. The first game that I really think this happened with was was with respect to Watch Dogs 2, but you saw it then in Far Cry, you saw it in Division, you saw it in various other things that they have released, the Ghost Recon series. And then again, you have Jason trying to establish that... Haskaway is bad at his job. By 2019, there were signs that Haskaway was losing his creative magic. Ubisoft released two big flops. The Division 2, an online game that failed to meet expectations despite critical acclaim and Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Again, editorializing that is unnecessary and ruins your point, Jason. So you say Division 2 is a flop, and then I say Division 2 is one of 11 titles from Ubisoft that have sold over 10 million units in this console cycle. And not only that, you have reports in various other places about Ubisoft that the uptick in Division 2 has been significant. That yes, it didn't meet their sales expectations as they said in their own investor call, but without giving what those expectations are. You know, if I think that the Rise of Skywalker should make $3 billion and it makes one, it didn't meet my expectations, but my expectations were really, really stupid. So it's one thing to say you didn't meet sales expectations. It's another thing to call a 10 million unit seller, one out of only 11 that the company released over the course of seven years, a flop. And you do yourself a disservice to describe it as such. But again, you're trying to establish that this guy is bad at his job, that sexists are bad at their job. And that's not the story. The story is that they don't have to be bad at their job and you still have to do something about it anyway. By the end of last year, Ubisoft's stock declined more than 40% from its high a year earlier. Again, putting this at the feet of Haskaway and institutional sexism. But there's more to the story as there is so often is the case with respect to these kinds of things, right? We've got in the middle of 2018, you've got a high here. He points to the end of 2019 as a low here. And then you have kind of a recovery. You know, it goes up by another $3 off of 13. So it's, it's kind of normalizing. It's kind of fine. And you look at this and say, hey, yeah, you know, he's right. There's a pretty big reduction from the middle of 2018 on, except when you look at the bigger picture, that's the case for everybody. Let's look at electronic arts. Here's the middle of 2018. This is everybody's high. Then you have some stock market issues and then you have some bounce back, bounce, bounce around, and then they come back. They start doing really well here in the middle of 2020 with some of the things that people are seeing coming out of their company and some of the announcements that are being made. You say, hey, how about Nintendo? Nintendo has a high of 2018. They fall like everybody else. And then, uh, by the way, they're Nintendo and Switch is doing fantastically. They bounce back better. They bounce back better than Ubisoft. There's no question. Ubisoft is kind of treading water here. But this downward movement from mid-2018 across 2019 is very standard. You see it with Square Enix who has this kind of big dip, middle of 2018, down to 2019. Now they bounce back even f further and even faster. Why? Probably something to do with Final Fantasy VII showing at E3 and getting out there and actually selling. That Final Fantasy VII remake, very, very popular. Final Fantasy XIV, making a lot of money for them. So yeah, you can point at Ubisoft not bouncing back much. They also didn't lose as much. You look at the steepness of this curve down from the middle of 2018. You don't want to be Electronic Arts. That's, that's a heck of a curve. Uh, Nintendo kind of goes into a bigger dip than Ubisoft and recovers a little bit faster. And then Square goes hard down and hard back up. So actually saying, well, 
this guy, this sexist, this person you should ostracize. And rightly so. If all of these allegations are true, there's so many bad things that they're doing on a structural level. And Haskaway seems to be the right person to point at for these things. But making this kind of supposition hurts your argument and isn't right in the first place. So I get upset when I see this kind of journalism. I see this kind of reporting because you're ruining your own story for nothing. We continue on. You see a a number of other kind of editorializing. You see him talking about Me Too, where he then lays at the feet Gamergate, saying that pervasive hostility towards women through Gamergate prevented Me Too from actually grappling with the video game industry. I reject that notion. I don't know of anybody operating in Gamergate spheres here in 2020 or 2019 or since Me Too started, uh, really. But you want to put Gamergate in your article, you're by more... Uh, More than happy to have that in the article if you want, Mr. Schreier. And then you see a quote here from Eves. As we collectively embark on a path leading to a better Ubisoft, it is my expectation that leaders across the company manage their teams with the utmost respect. I also expect them to work to drive the change we need, always thinking of what is best for Ubisoft and all its employees. So yeah, this is a bad situation. These people that are identified in this particular article are doing things badly. The corporation is structurally doing things badly. But as far as once this story comes out, What you are hearing from messaging from both Guillemont and Ubisoft in general is exactly what you would want to hear. Does that mean they will act on it? No. Does that mean they will get out of this trap the next time? No. But it does mean that if there's going to be any chance of those things, this is exactly the kind of stance you want to see out of the company. And so hopefully, for everybody's sake, the people that work there, the people that love their video games, they do. I don't like to be on the internet here with everybody rooting against everything and saying, oh, I'm just cynical. And these corporations don't do anything when they say these statements. Yeah, a lot of times that's the case. But a lot of the times they do fix things up. Things get better. Things get more respectful. People don't have to worry about these things. And the first step is these kinds of statements. So don't be that cynic. Don't be that person that says it's impossible to fix. This is the kind of thing that can be fixed. It's the kind of thing that even in this article is limited to certain specific vectors that can be cut off and hopefully corrected on the structural level at the company. And it's just no fun to be that cynical. And then you have a getaway line from Mr. Schreier who says that Haskaway loved to talk about systemic gaming, gaming that wasn't linear. And as one employee puts it, at least we did succeed in being systemic somewhere. He's talking about systemic sexism. We'll let him get away with that line uh, because it's a good use of phrasing and I, I do like words and wordplay. But it's not really the purpose of this. It's not really what he uncovered. And I actually think what this article suggests, that this person was actually good at what he did, is much more of a story. And I'd like to see that story told more often and frankly, better. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, we are talking about things like this all the time. We did a deep dive into China's Hong Kong national security law yesterday, not just because we like to do deep dives into international statutory actions, but also because what China proclaims in that law is that they could affect everyone everywhere, including, if you're just interested in gaming, those folks that are broadcasting things and that are allowing people to use their microphones. It's very important for really everyone in the world to understand what China thinks they can claim, who they can grab, who who they can imprison, and just what kind of trial they can use to do it. So please do check out that video. We've also talked a lot about Dr. Disrespect in the past couple of weeks and his continuing silence slash non-silence in respect of his ban from Twitch, why Twitch isn't saying anything, what the corporate dispute could be at the heart of things and why silence really should be the expectation and not the exception on a story like that. And we're otherwise talking about the business and law of the world 
through the lens of the things that you're already interested in, pop culture, movies, music, television, and of course, video games. So please do share it, like, subscribe, tell people that we are here. And if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.